Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. You're joining us during a foundational series in the life of our church that we're calling This Is Hope. During this series, we're asking two questions. Who are we? And because of who we are, what do we do? If you're joining us here for the very first time, I wanna be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us and fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. This is Hope is an identity declaration who we are and what we do. So, who are we and what do we do? At Hope Church, we magnify Christ above everything. We experience life change in community. We love our city. We multiply churches. Engage the nations. This is Hope. Well, hello, Hope family. Hope you're well today. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or online. We are glad that you chose to be with us. And we think today the Lord has a word for all of us, including the person behind this pulpit. We are currently in a series, and if you don't know this, it just means you may be new or, or maybe you've just, well, anyway, we're in a series called This is Hope, Who We Are and What We Do. And in this series, we've said it in every single sermon that we don't just want to fill up this room. We love it when this room is filled, but the truth is we want people to come to know Jesus to be discipled in the faith, to be connected in community. We want them to go and reach the world for Jesus. That's what we want. We want them to be sent out. Now, for those of you who are new <clears throat> here to Hope, or maybe you've just missed a sermon or two, let me encourage you to go online. You'll be able to find the previous four sermons. In those sermons, we talked about who we are and what we do. And Pastor Scott, the first week, started uh, with We Magnify Christ Above Everything. If we're going to do anything, we need to lift up Jesus. Amen? And we're, we want to do that so that people know who he is and that he is our everything. Secondly, the second week, uh, Pastor uh, Scott also preached on we experience life change in community. Now, this is us trying to uh, tell you you need to be connected with other people. Uh, when I first got married, um, I, I found out a whole lot about me that I didn't, I didn't know. Because I was connected with somebody who looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? So we want you to be connected. Listen, you'll grow fast. You'll experience life change in that community. In the third message, we talked about loving our city. We love our city. All of us have been brought here. Not all of us, but a lot of us have been brought here from somewhere else. And we're not from here. But if you are from here, like Pastor Scott talked about a couple weeks ago, we are supposed to love our city. We need to help our city. God has placed us here as a salve, if you will, on our city to help this city because we love it. The fourth message, Pastor Trenton preached last week, we multiply churches. 
Listen, what we're looking for is we want people all over this city, all over this state, all over this nation to know him. And we believe the best way to do that is by planting churches. We can get about 6,000 people at one time on this campus legally. And I don't know if you know this, there's two, almost two and a half million people in this city alone. So what we're talking about is impossible if we don't expand out and help people go to a place that's closer to their home, somewhere where they can engage their community, but we want to multiply churches as well. So today, we're on our fifth statement describing who we are and what we do, and it's this. We engage the nations. Did you hear the first person plural right there? We? Okay, let me put it a little more simply. Us. That's not just us on the staff. That's not just those who preach or those who teach or those who lead a ministry here. That's not just the ministry of cross-cultural mobilization here at Hope. That is us as a church. God has allowed us to be a part of helping the nations know who he is. Pastor Trenton, amen. Praise the Lord. I need to see you after the service. Amen. Pastor Trenton last week uh, kind of kicked, kicked it off for me when he read Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, listen to this, you will be my witnesses. And he named all four places, Judea, Samaria, right? He said Jerusalem, but he also said the uttermost parts, like the ends of the earth. We hope church is responsible as much for its Jerusalem right here in Las Vegas as it is for the uttermost that you don't even know exists. We are responsible for that. But have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't. Have you ever thought about God has given the opportunity and responsibility to his children, which we call the church, to make sure that the nations hear the gospel? That's why we engage the nations, because if we don't engage the nations, if we don't love our city, if we don't magnify Christ above everything else, if we don't plant churches, if we don't engage a community here in Las Vegas, are we really a church? Like, if we only pick one or two of those things, would would we be really good at what we do? No, no, God's called us to all of this. To be quite honest with you, I hadn't thought much about what I just said about engaging the nations 30 years ago. I know because I look so young. 30 years ago, God did something in my life at what we would call an international missions conference, which is kind of what we're doing today. We've enveloped it in a series, but we want to place emphasis on getting the gospel to the nations. But in this conference at our church, our pastor was trying to put us around people who could help us understand what it looked like to engage the nations with the gospel and what our responsibility was in it. Now, at that time, my wife and I, Crystal, we had three kids under five years old. And for those of you who've ever done that, kids under five years old, three of them, you know where I'm coming from, right? There's a lot of responsibility in it. You're, you're here and you're there. What I didn't know was it was the easiest time. But, you know, hey, it got a little more difficult then. But at the time, we were doing a lot. And, and, and we were young uh, as far as parents were concerned as well. I was working my job. I had gone to school. I had been trained. I, I, I was really excited about what, what God was going to do in my life with the job that I had. Uh, we were just living life. 
kids, job, family. I was a good church-going fella, so I was like some of you guys in this room. You came every week, and you gave your tithe, and you did the thing, and, you know, you were good, and you shook hands and all that. But then somebody stood up, and they said, have you ever thought about this? And the truth is, I hadn't. They started talking about unreached people groups. Two of the couples that were there, uh, one from uh, um, South America and the other from uh, Asia somewhere. And they were working with what they called unreached people groups. And when I heard that term, I didn't know what it meant. And I asked the question, what does that mean? And what I came to find out was it was really a way to say there are people on the planet who've never heard or have no access to the gospel because we haven't gotten it there yet. Which is amazing because Coke has gotten there. I was in a village in Tanzania and th- there wasn't any water in the village. There was no well. And I looked around and there was a Coke machine there. I'm like, Coke's got it. The church hasn't. Like, we got to get the gospel to the nations. And, and maybe, as I just say that to you, maybe you're like me 30 years ago where you say, I've never, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was up to us to get the gospel to the nations. Won't everybody be okay if the gospel doesn't go? No, everybody won't be okay. No. I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus nine months before I was born, if I had ears. I don't know. I'm just saying Most of us can't imagine not knowing what Jesus did and who he is. But there are people on this planet who have never heard his name, who have no access to them. In that conference, I remember the missionaries telling us a story about a young woman they were trying to reach. And they had shared the gospel with her over and over and over. And when they would finish sharing the gospel, basically, after having conversations with her, they would say, can I pray for you about something? And each time she would say no. But this time was different. When they finished, they said, can we pray with you about something? And she said, you know, every time you talk to me and share with me, like you're passionate about this. Um, I always say no, but I'm going to give you something to pray about now. So they, 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 uh, she gave them the request. They prayed for her. And as soon as they lifted their heads, she looked at them, and here's what she said. She said, you know, you do this every single time. I don't know who your God is, but would you tell me about him? Would you mind telling me who he is? And at that moment... When she said that, when the missionary said this for what she had said, I couldn't talk. Like, my next move was speechlessness. I was trying to talk. My wife was sitting right next to me. I'm trying to go. Something had me in a way, and I'm not, you know, sometimes people exaggerate or they embellish. There's hyperbole in people's sentences. The truth is, this was not, what I'm telling you now is not an exaggeration. I felt like John the Baptist's father when he couldn't talk, you know, because he had questioned God. But the truth was, is I was trying to say something to my wife to go, did you hear what they just said? And this is unbelievable. Like, how do we not know this? I couldn't say a word. Tell me about your God just kept going over and over in my mind because I thought, I wondered, are there other people on the planet who might have that question but cannot get it answered because nobody's there to answer it? 
You say, Tom, what happened after that, after you got your voice back? Because it did. It took a few minutes. Talked to my wife, prayed for the next few months, not long, to be honest with you. But ultimately, you know what I did? This sounds crazy. And again, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. I quit my job. Yep, I know it sounds nuts. It sounds like I, I didn't do a wise thing. But I quit my job. I knew I wasn't trained, so I went and got some training. I was asking people what to do, and they were like, hey, do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I did it. And to be honest, I'm standing in front of you today because of that one sermon. Now, let me just say, I wish I could really tell you how I felt that day and the magnitude with which it affected my life. But I told you that story today to let you know two things. Number one, there really are people who've never heard. They've never heard. There are people in our world today who will spend eternity separated from God, not because they chose not to follow him, but because they didn't know they could. Let me say that again. Listen close. There are people in our world today who will spend eternity separated from God, not because they chose not to follow him, but because they didn't know they could. Today, there are people around the planet who have no idea that he exists. Should they know? Maybe. If they did know, would anybody be there to tell them? If they had a question, if they, if they wanted to make a statement, would anybody be there to tell them who he was? And then second, I just wanted you to know how it affected me. I wanted you to know how what I heard affected me because what I could no longer do was to continue what I was doing. I couldn't sit idly by knowing that there were people on the planet who'd never heard and just do my thing and go to my job and show up at the, at the church service knowing they don't know him. I'm going to share some stats with you in a minute that are heartbreaking in this. Not, well, to be honest with you, I hope you feel guilty. Like, if I could use that, I would as a tactic. But I know unless the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, it won't matter. But I want to share with you in just a little bit what that looks like. Does it mean you're going to quit your job like me? Maybe. Now, for those of you who just don't want to work, that's not what I'm saying. Let me just go ahead and give that little caveat right there. For all you who like the lazier side of things, stop. Okay? Listen, are you called to this? And, and here's what I'll tell you. A bunch of you are, and you're just saying no. Or a bunch of you will be, and you'll just say no. But don't say no. Like, follow him and what he wants you to do. So let's take our Bibles. Chapter uh, 10 of the book of Romans. We're only going to read six verses um, I wanted to preach two chapters. The guys talked me out of it, said there's not enough time for that, so you can thank, you, thank Jesus uh, for that. We're only going to look at six verses, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. If you don't mind turning there, if you can, please do, because I want you to see these words. I want the Holy Spirit to take those words off that page into your heart as we read them together today. Romans chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 9. It'll be on the screen if, if you need that. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul moves into another mode, if you will, I think. Because this is some good stuff up to here. Then he says this. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So today, I want to go through three questions for us in the time that we have. Three simple questions in these six, seven verses. Just to help us understand what it looks like for people who've never heard to be able to hear. Number one, how is a person saved? I almost didn't uh, write this question as the uh, first uh, point because I thought, you know, we've said this a lot here. And if you've been at Hope a lot, sometimes, especially when it comes to Christmas and stuff, we want people to know how to be saved. There are lots of visitors with us. There are lots of guests. There are lots of people who maybe it's their first time. But the truth is, what's in this passage in chapter 10, verse 9, is answers the question how a person is saved. And you know how? Confession and belief. Look what it says in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession, belief. Confession. For the, with the mouth one confesses Jesus is Lord. And then belief. For with the heart one believes God raised Jesus from the dead. I think the first thing that we got to notice in this passage or in this verse is that the Holy Spirit gives us insight into who can volitionally and actively confess and believe. Like who can be the person who confesses and believes? Here's what Paul says. If you. Now we've covered this several times. And in the English language, in our English Bible, it's very difficult sometimes when you see the you to really know what the context is. You can read the context and still kind of go, I wonder if he's talking about like you or you and you. And you, Because in our language, in the singular and the plural, use the same word spelled exactly the same way, right? Now, I'm from the South, and I know how to pronounce the right plural you, you know. Scott tried. I give it to him. He's close. But y'all. There you go. You see, you see, that's how. But here's the thing. Here, it's not y'all. What Scott preached two, uh, three weeks ago, it was y'all. It was all y'all. Here, when Paul talks and in, in, uh, what he writes in verse 9, he says, if you confess, and this is a singular you. So here's the deal. What does that mean, Tom? Here's what it means. That every person alive has to choose for themselves, has to submit to the authority of Jesus. You have to confess. Your mama can't confess for you. Your best friend can't confess for you. Your daddy can't. Listen, your, your pastor can't. Nobody can. You have to confess. Not only that, you have to believe. You individually have to believe. You say, Tom, I was born in a Christian home. Great. You were born not a Christian in a Christian home. 
One of my former pastors used to say when I was growing up, he used to say, kittens are born in bread baskets every day, but that does not make them bread. <laughs> it's funny, but you get it, right? Listen, you're not born a Christian. People say, I was born a Christian. Impossible. Listen, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, this is a you individually, you and you and you and me, we have to do it individually. Second part of this verse, man's wisdom would say that there are many ways to be saved, which is totally false. But here the Bible tells us there is a way to salvation. This is the way, he says. This is a conditional sentence. You say, Tom, what does that mean? Conditional sentences in English are ones that say if then. Here's the way this could be written, okay? And the reason we know that is because they use words that we don't to translate. They don't always translate out well. So I'm not trying to make you doubt the scripture, but here's what I'll say. This is a conditional sentence. Here's how it could be said. If you confess, listen to this, and if you believe, then you will be saved. If you do this, it's like whatever's at the first part of the sentence makes the second part true. If you do this, then this happens. My dad said, if you don't clean up your room, Tommy, this will happen. I'll leave this part open to you. If you do clean up your room, this will happen. I like this part a whole lot better. Same thing here. If you confess, if you believe, you will be saved. Listen, it's possible for somebody to be able to say these things, but it's not automatic that they will because there are lots of people on the planet who are not followers of Jesus. The two verbs that are used here, confess and believe. The verb confess is a word in the original language, listen to this, that is actually two words combined. I love it when languages take two words and they make it one word and it brings up this whole picture of something. This is a word that is, is, is two Greek words, hama and legeo. Hama means the same, legeo means to say. So here's actually the word of confess, to say the same thing. Another way you can say it is to agree with, okay? So this word confess is not going, okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. No, it's, it, it, it's not like being on the stand and, and saying something just because you saw it. Now, that may be true, but the truth is confession means I agree with God. About what? Well, he tells us here. What we're supposed to be, agree with God about is that he is the Lord. <laughs> confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Now, here's the deal. In in um, that time period, this would have been a huge deal. It's still a huge deal today, but these were a, this was a Jewish people he was talking to. You see, they did not want to believe, and still don't, Jesus is God, that he is the Savior who died for our sins. So for them to confess that Jesus is God, that he is Lord, was a huge deal. But Paul said, here's the thing. You've got to believe it. It's going to mean that you're no longer following the law. Y'all get me on this? Confess it. But then he says, believe it. Believe it. To agree with God, to confess with God means to agree with God. But then you have to believe it. This word believe is a word that means to place your trust in. It's to have faith in something. It means more than to believe that something exists. We could go to lots of places around Las Vegas and knock on doors and say, tell me about Jesus. And they could tell you about the baby in the manger or the man on the cross. And they believe he exists, but that's different from what we're saying. 
You realize most, even most Christians around the world, there is a, 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 a works-based salvation that says, yeah, Jesus exists, and I'm going to do all these things for him. And he's like, no, that's not what I want from you. Like, trust in what I've done for you, not what you're going to do for me. Believe, have faith in what I've already accomplished, that I'm God. I, was cru- I, I lived a perfect life, brought, died a brutal, a brutal death, and I came out on the third day. You realize Jesus got up and walked out. Nobody put smelling salts in front of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just got up. That's some power. And he did it because he's God. Then we see the words, you will be saved. And those four words, there's a lot there. Not can be, but will be. Not can be, but who will be saved. It tells us two things. Number one, it tells us when a person's saved. These four words tell us when a person is saved. Because it's in a future tense, we, we can tell that by looking at it. You will be saved. There's a, there's a future to this. Listen, salvation comes after confession and belief. But then secondly, it tells us who saves. Who does the saving? The way it's written here, we realize it's a, it's, it's a passive voice verb. And I know some of y'all don't give a flying rip about that. And that's okay. That's fine. I do. And you should too because it means we can't save ourselves. That God himself is the one who saves us. He said, if you believe and confess, that's all I'm asking for. Now, does he give us the grace to believe and confess? Hallelujah, yes. But he does the saving. Because here's the point. God saves individual people as they confess and believe. You say, Tom, why are you saying all this? We know it. Oh, yeah, I'm getting there. We're going somewhere. Now, let me give you a disclaimer before I move on. I have absolutely, if you're a believer in Jesus, I have no idea what your confession looked like. I have no idea. Maybe you stood before a church service like this and you yelled it. Praise the Lord. Maybe you got saved all by yourself in your room and you stood in front of the mirror and you said it. Praise the Lord. Maybe you prayed with a pastor or your parents or your best friend. Praise the Lord. I don't know what your confession looked like. I just know it says when you give your life to Christ, you're going to tell somebody. You're going to say he really is who he said. People say, well, you know, my, uh, my faith is private. That's not what he said. He said, we got to say it. So I don't know what it looked like. It's the outward expression of what's happened to us. Like when something really good happens, I want to say it, don't you? But then there's an inward expression too, and it's the belief part. And what you believe does matter. And the truth is, while all of our confessions may look a little bit different, our belief probably, if we're Jesus follower, looks really the same. That he is God, he lived that perfect life, died a brutal death, and that he rose on the third day. And what you believe about him absolutely matters. But Paul says, here's how you do it. It's not by works. How it is is confession and belief. Listen, you're going to say it because he did it. You're believing in what he's done, not in what you're going to do. Point number two. If that's how a person's saved, then what are the results of the salvation? What are they? Well, I'll I'll tell you right up front. They're justification, rescue, and acceptance. That's what verse 10 through 13, talk about. He said, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scriptures say, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. You see, all three of these things, justification, rescue, and I'll show you where this is, and acceptance, happen simultaneously. Justification, with the heart you believe and you're justified. Rescued, for with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And acceptance, whoever believes won't be put to shame. Listen, the first thing is is that we're justified. We are justified. Positionally in our salvation, listen, we're not in heaven yet. Didn't y'all, if y'all realize that. I know you, I don't have to teach you a lot to tell you that. This is not heaven, but we're on our way, okay? But positionally, it's like we are. That's what salvation gives us. People say, I doubt my salvation. Why? He said he's going to do it. He did it, and it's over. We are justified as if we were never wrong because of his righteousness and his blood and his sacrifice. We are justified, and that is a hallelujah. Secondly, he talks about rescue in verse 10. We are saved, he said. To be saved means to be rescued. It's a literal word. Sozo is a literal word to rescue somebody from peril or danger, to help them. What did he rescue us from? Listen to me. Eternal death. Now, don't let that word confuse you. Those two words together confuse you because the truth is the eternal death is not really death. Oh, you're dying but never dead. In eternal death, you live dying. People say, well, I'll just become like a styrofoam popcorn and just go away. No, no, you'll be you. You'll still be you. And it doesn't even make me happy to say that. In fact, it's sad. God wants to rescue you from that. The last thing he says in verse 11 is you'll be accepted. You say, Tom, where do you see that? Well, the phrase will not be put to shame is where I get that. Here's what he's talking about when he says will not be put to shame. It means that the offer of salvation is not for a particular part of the human race. God is no respecter of persons of a certain race or language or people group. He loves all. Verse 12 tells us that it makes no difference who we are, where we're from, or what language we speak. He uses the word, he makes no distinction, if you will. It means not to see as different or not to separate out. Here's what God never, ever does. God never separates us and say, you guys are good and you guys are not, based on how he created us. I mean, what kind of mean God would that be? I created all y'all to do that and all y'all. No, no, no. He says, I want all you. Nationality doesn't matter. Language doesn't matter. Education level doesn't matter. Wealth doesn't matter. Status in the community doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is if you've confessed and believed. My grandfather was illiterate. He was a super hard worker. He was an alcoholic all his life. Gave his life to Jesus about four or six years before he passed. Some of the things he did, and he, he even said to me, I'm embarrassed at the things I've done. I said, I get it, Papa, but I'll tell you, he will wipe all that away. Doesn't matter. The wages are the same for those that got there in the morning or those who got there right before the horn blew. Jesus is a good and gracious God. The only thing that matters is what we've done with confession and belief. For the most part, we make decisions not knowing the future, don't we? This one, though, we can know the future. You don't have to guess if you confess and believe where you will be 
in eternity. Paul says, when you make the decision to confess and believe, you'll be made righteous here. You'll be rescued and you will be, not be disappointed, but you will be accepted no matter who you are, where you're from. How do I know that? Look at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word whoever is a, is a sweet, sweet word. He says, because whoever will, for whoever will. Usually, even in the original language, the, the word whoever was one word. And it was a, it's a little bitty word. And you notice it when you see it. But here he uses three words to describe whoever. You know why he does? I mean, I don't know why he does it, but, but, but here's a great way to say it. He's saying all who would or all who will. Check this out. All who will allow. I don't know why the Holy Spirit had him write it like that. But he's basically covering all the bases for every human that's ever existed. That the only thing he wants you to do is submit to him. Allow him, sur surrender to him. And it doesn't matter when you do it. And, 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 and the, the, uh, the, the, the text even tells us that. That it doesn't matter when you do it, at night, during the day, when you're 80 or when you're 8. Whenever you ask, he does it. Some of you have been in this room so many times and you've rejected that tugging. It's time not to reject. All you got to do is believe and confess. Could it get easier? Could it get any easier? You see, there's no profiling on who calls. There's no distinction on who can call. Paul writes, whoever will call will be saved. Calling on God will bring the salvation that a person needs. We call on him. He does the saving. It's all throughout Scripture. Here uh, in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 13, Paul actually quotes a verse from the Old Testament in Joel 2.32. He just takes what Joel the prophet said and brings it right over. Literally word for word. Everybody, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In 1 John, John writes, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm telling you, as I even preach, this is the third time I've preached this, and I'll tell you, Hallelujah. Like salvation's available, and he wants to give it. Do you want it? You say, Tom, I thought this was an engaging the nations talk. It is fantastic news that we're able to be saved. But remember how I started? For most of us, we get this, and we've heard it. Over and over. But our third question, where we'll land the plane today, is if this salvation is available to everyone, why has everyone not been saved? And there are some reasons. Paul goes into the, how will they call on him and whom they've not believed, and how will they believe in whom they've not heard, and how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And by the way, don't let the word preaching trip you up. That's not talking about what I do, what Ricky does, what Trenton does, what Scott. That's not what he's talking about. That word is a word uh, that means to proclaim. It's actually the word Caruso where we get Robinson Caruso. You can go check that out later. But who's a proclaimer, all of us, who are in the faith? He said, who's going to 
How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't proclaim? And how are they going to proclaim unless they are sent? Here's some reasons people don't believe, and we'll finish up today. Unbelief. People won't proclaim, won't be saved because they just don't believe. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in what he did. Unbelief will stop people from coming to Christ. Another reason is materialism, especially here in the West. They want what the world offers more. They think they're going to have to give something up, that, the, that, that things will stop. The, their, their life won't be like it was. So they would choose those things over him. In some parts of the world, it's fear of persecution, maybe even here as well. Like you're afraid of what your family would say or what your culture would say or, 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 or even the religion that you're in right now, what they would say. They would banish you or kick you out or whatever. So people just say, you know what, I'm not doing that. There are other reasons. In fact, there are a lot of other reasons, but they all have one thing in common. You know what the thing they have in common is? They've all heard. They've just chosen to reject. Whether it's unbelief or materialism or fear of persecution or any other noun you want to put in that blank. Whatever it is. It's not because they didn't hear. It's because they did. But there are lots of people on this planet Who've never heard. These people have heard. They just rejected. But there's another group that I just talked about. They haven't been saved, not because they don't want it. They've never had the chance to reject it. Think about that. These people I'm talking about, when we engage the nations, these people have never said no to Jesus because they never had a chance to hear about Jesus. Now you'd think that's not true, but it is very, very true. As Paul says here, how are they going to call? How are they going to believe? How are they going to hear? What if we took that, those four, sen- those four questions, uh, sentences as questions, and we turned them upside down, and we went through the progression, if you will, of what it means when people don't go? Because the last thing he says is, how are they to preach unless they're sent? So let's start with sent and go back to call. Here's how it would look. If no one is sent, then there will be no one to proclaim him. You realize you got saved because somebody told you. I know. Sometimes my wife thinks, you know, she tells me I think I'm smart. You think you know everything. Let me tell you what we didn't know, who Jesus is without somebody telling us. I mean, you may have been told from the Scripture, but I promise you somebody told you. If nobody's sent, then nobody's going to proclaim. Check this out. If nobody proclaims, then no one will hear about him. If nobody hears about him, then no one will believe. And if no one believes, then nobody's going to call on him. And if nobody calls on him, then there is no salvation. Why? Because everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see how that is? He said, everybody who calls. Then he goes, well, wait a minute, though. Everybody can't call because everybody hadn't heard. And the reason people haven't heard is because my children didn't go. Here's the bottom line. They haven't heard. So for those of us who have heard and we know the truth, we must go tell them. We must go tell them. Remember, we're not trying to fill a space. Pastor Lance Michaels 
from Hope Henderson says this. He says, the problem is not God's unwillingness to save. The problem is our unwillingness to go. God is not short. His arm's not short that he cannot help us. But he has used us to be able to get the gospel to the nations. You say, Tom, why should we be involved? Here's some facts. Every day, 157,000 people die without a relationship with God. People who don't know Jesus die and spend eternity in a place called hell. Here's what that means. Every two seconds, somebody dies without Jesus. Here's what that's like. Gone. Gone. That's currently happening. 3.4 billion of the almost 8 billion people on the planet are considered unreached, and 1.7 billion of those people have never heard the name of Jesus. And my question is, how can we know this and ignore it? I know that many will. But what about those of you who don't or won't? Will you come alongside us? Help us help them. We got the gospel. They don't. How can we know these stats and yet ignore these stats? Is it because we don't love or we don't care about people? I don't think so. Is it because we don't believe it? Maybe. Is it because we think somebody else will do it? Or are we convinced that the little we can do won't matter that much? I, I don't think so. I, or is it because you just didn't know that this was true. That there are people who have never heard. That's what it was for me in 1997. I just didn't know. I should have, but I didn't. Listen close. Now, you know. There's nobody in this room who can, know, who can still say, after today, I just didn't know. Now you know. Let's do something about it. Amen? Let's do something about it. So how are we going to reach the unreached? What's that going to look like, Pastor Tom? How, like, what can we do? How can we engage the nations now? Well, three ways, and then, and then I'll be finished. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. You say, Tom... Like, what does that look like? Well, pray for God to send missionaries from our church. Last year, we sent out the Masons. Praise the Lord. This next year, we're going to send out two more couples, it looks like. One in the, at the end of May and one in June, July time period. They're going to be in some places that they need the gospel. So God's already raising up, but pray. Maybe set your clock at 1014. I don't know. Do something to remind yourself to pray that God would send more people from this place. And remember, you might be praying for you. Just so you know. Second, pray for, hope missionary, pray for the hope missionaries that we currently have and for the partners. The partners like Brandon and Jess who are already on the field, the ones that we partner with, that we support, that we love, that we already pray for. Listen, you pray for them too. You can go outside and meet them after this is all over. You can get uh, prayer cards and, and there's some prayer booklets out there to teach you how to do that. But pray, 
for missionaries and other partners. Also, you can join a short-term Go Trip team as a prayer. You say, Tom, I'm disabled or I, there, there, there's something like I can't because of my job or my mom won't let me or my husband says, what's up with you? And, but I would love to be involved in a short-term team. Here's the deal. We got your place. Our teams are not just made up of those who go on the trip. They're, they're made up of the other people who send them financially, and they're also made up of the, of the prayers. And listen, if you don't want to pray, don't be on the team as a prayer, okay? We need people who actually pray on teams. I'll pray for you. Don't joke about it. Like, don't lie to us. Just pray. But you can be on one of those teams. Give. Give constantly, sometimes sacrificially. You've heard us talk about it through Hope Church. We're constantly on mission. There are things that we want to do. There are, there are places that we're helping. I wish I could give you the list of all that's going on. Give. But also give to a short, short-term team. I just talked about being a sender on that team. It costs an average of about twenty-five dollars to $2,700 for one person to go on one of our teams. And while that sounds like a lot, listen, God is doing some amazing things with our short-term teams. And he's calling people to himself. Listen, if you've got the funds and you can help them go, please give when you're asked by them. Just give it to them. You say, I only got $10. Praise God, that's 10 less we got to raise. But give. Go. Share the gospel with those in your circle of influence right now, where you live, where you work, where you play, whatever. Just begin to share with those who don't know the gospel. Constantly do that. Why? Because that's all we're doing when we go, pretty much. When we go on a short-term trip, join. A sh- There's a booklet out there at our table. It looks like this right here. This booklet has opportunities for you to go next year. We've got 10 to 12 different places and in those places there's probably 20 to 25 trips that you'll be able to go on everywhere from Europe to Africa to Asia. All kinds of opportunities. Join a team. Listen, you will not know what it's like, the heart of God, if you don't see it. I beg you, go see it. It'll change you. It'll touch your heart. 2023 is coming right up. Go get the book. All of us are supposed to be praying, sending, or going. All of us. All of us. We've been saying it for years, and COVID kind of hit and stopped us on some things. But this last year, we sent a team to South Africa. And one of the people on that team, it's actually your second time to be able to go. Her name's Sonia. And I want you to hear just a brief testimony of how God moved in her life as she started looking at the nations. Here's a video of Sonia. My 14-day adventure to George, South Africa, was full of emotions of every kind. Aside from the week-long vacation Bible school discipleship camp of 150-plus kids that we ministered to, loved on and encouraged, God moved in a mighty way to show himself real to a little girl of 14 who believed that Jesus was a real person, but she did not feel that deep down inside he truly cared about her her family. I'll never forget the next morning when she came in, tears brimming her eyes, so excited to share that she now knew Jesus is real. Through her tears, she shared that the day before, her mom had been robbed by a gang who proceeded to attack her, and she feared for her life, but they suddenly dropped everything and ran off. The mother did not understand why they turned and ran off until her daughter came home and realized this robbery happened at the exact same time we were praying during camp. She said, it is Jesus, he's real. And because of this life-saving intervention that took place, this miracle, they both had a new perspective and saw the truth of God's love for us. 
And if this is the only reason we went 8,000 miles across the world, it was worth it. Of course, it was not the only reason. We left so many imprints of Jesus on everyone we saw, who he is, what he means to us, and how he loves us and cares for us. Words cannot begin to express the fullness you feel until you return home. You may think you're going across the world to help others, but it's more than that. You are growing your own faith, seeing firsthand the different cultures of God's beloved people, and learning to be more compassionate, loving, selfless, patient, flexible, and servant-like while building up the boldness and endurance for what He has called us to do, which is to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I ask you, next time, will you join me? Your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen. And there are countless people in our church body who would tell you the same thing. Like, I dare you. Just try it. I think you'll be greatly surprised. Notice, though, that one of the things I didn't say, one of the options was not, well, do nothing. <laughs> hey, is, is option four just nothing? No. <laughs> option four is not nothing. Pray, give, go. I just want to tell you, I, I'm unapologetic about this, not because I'm insensitive, not because I don't care about you. If you knew how much I love being a pastor at this church, pastoring you. But also to pastor you means I got to be honest. This is what we're doing. Do it with us. This Friday night, the quickest thing you can do, this Friday night, you can find these out at the table. We're having something here called Secret Church. This is not new. It, it started a few years back. David Platt started it in his church, and it started to go nationwide. And so we have access to what's called Secret Church. And it's basically a way for you to be involved, and by involved, for you to uh, get to know really what's happening across the world. Like, what are the things that are going on? What are the stories? How should we be involved? What could this look like for us? It's going to be a time. We're going to have a phenomenal time together right here in this sanctuary. You can get the cards out at the table. You can scan the QR code. You can ask questions you want to for the team that's out there. But please, please, listen, come. We're actually going to feed you, too. Like, there's even food usually gets everybody stirred up. So there you go. At least come find out what's going on about missions and about engaging the nations. This isn't an option for us. I can't get away from that young lady years ago, 30 years now, said, tell me about your God. How many other people on our planet who have that question? You see, the first thing for salvation is not to call on the Lord. The first thing for somebody to be saved so that somebody can be saved is for us to go or to be sent or to help somebody go. But we got to tell them. We got to tell them. Lord, I hope that what's happened in this room today is just an awakening of what's happening in our world as it pertains to knowing and not knowing the gospel truth. Because there are 157,000 people every day who die who never hear 
And there's a part of that, Lord, that's like a, a, a knife in me that says, I didn't tell him either. But Lord, we, we should never stop trying to tell them. Even when they say no, we should never stop trying. Even someone in your home, even someone in your neighborhood, someone you work with, or someone all the way in another location you didn't even know existed. We have to tell them. So as we close today and as our pastors come, I want to put out three or four things that I want you to think about, pray about, and then I want you to act upon, okay? The first thing is, is, is if you have pushed Jesus away, Maybe you've never pushed Jesus away. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel yourself. Praise the Lord. You can be saved today. Believe and confess. He's the Lord. Say that. And not just because you say it, but you believe that, that he is God, that he died for your sin. Because of your sin, he was crucified, but he did it willingly so that you could live forever. But if you've rejected him, I want to plead with you and just say, Today's the day of salvation. You can give your life to Christ. We'd love to lead you to Jesus today, and we can. Just come tell us. Second, I want you to pray for what, and ask God what he wants you to do. Maybe that looks like you're praying from your seat. These, this altar will be open. You can come down here and just pour your heart out as, as kind of a testimony and an accountability to say, Lord, I just want to know what you're doing in my life. Like, what do I do? Am I going to be a prayer on a team, a sender on a team? Or am I going to go? Like, how am I going to get to the nations? How are we going to pray for the missionaries um, who, are he, who, who we've sent out of hope or who we partner with across the world? I just want you to ask God, what am I going to do? How am I going to be involved? Ask God that. You can do it here. You can do it at your seat. The third thing I, I, I'd really love for us to do, many of you, I'd love for you to just say, Lord, would you... As the harvest is coming in, would you call out laborers for the harvest? God, would you call people from Hope Church? Would you call people from the rest of the world, from the nations on the planet? Would you call them to go tell? All the while knowing you may be praying for yourself. And then last, do you already know you're supposed to be going? That was me. That was me. Like I knew. If somebody put a pair of shoes on the, on the altar and said, who's going to fill them? I would have had to come down that day. Is that you? Now, there's a lot of steps that I want to walk with you through. Like, we're not saying, hey, good luck. We're going to put you on a plane. Go. No, we're going to help you. But here's what I'm going to help you with. I'm going to help you to understand the call that God has on your life. You know that many are called, but few come. It's not a salvation verse. It's a worker's verse. Many are called. So, Lord, I don't know if people need to be saved. I don't know if they need to find their calling. I don't know what they need, but I know you do. Man, are we happy about it, Lord. You sent somebody to us so that we wouldn't have to die eternally. So, God, do the same thing for those who don't know. We pray these things.